You're listening to the Sound Girls Podcast with Daria and Katie. Today's episode features an interview with Ronnie Brown. Ronnie Brown is a professional Foley artist working on independent and blockbuster films, television shows, and video games at Skywalker Sound in Marin. She's received four Emmy nominations, winning her first award in 2020, and 24 MPSE Golden Reel nominations, winning three times in 2019, 2020, and 2021. Ronnie is well known for pushing the boundaries of traditional Foley, breaking common misconceptions, and delivering dynamic sounds to support all her projects, big and small. She is passionate about keeping the aesthetic of the women that came before her and supporting other women entering the audio post-production industry. She currently lives in San Francisco with her husband and two young children. Ronnie, I'm actually, I could not find anything about your backstory. You're like a mystery woman. So I'm super excited to get into uh, your roots and how you got into this whole Foley audio thing. My background is in audio engineering. I went to school to learn to record music at a time Mm -hmm. that almost all the studios were closing. So I found myself needing to find an alternative type of recording possibility for myself. And I started learning more and more about sound design. And I'm not as technically oriented as a sound designer per se. Like I don't look into gears and plugins and stuff like that. I just tends to be tend to be really hands-on and I like experimenting that way. So I learned about Foley and well I really wanted to do field recording. I love going out and I just love recording. I absolutely love it. And I wanted to do field recording, but since most sound designers do it for themselves or people kind of make sound effects libraries, it didn't really appeal to me. So that's how Foley really kind of fell onto me. And once I started learning about it and learning how intricate it can be and how many different ways it can kind of encompass all kinds of sounds from little quiet moments to really big and bombastic stuff, and you can get quite musical with it, I just kind of got really excited. Um, and as my career has evolved, I have found even more ways of getting excited by it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good that you get more <laughs> excited rather than, uh, yeah, no, I mean, every job, you know, can have some not so good parts of it. And, you know, yeah. everyone wants to complain about budget shrinking or about people not needing fully or, or things like that. But I enjoy a challenge and I also like proving people wrong. Mm -hmm. So uh, in the beginning of my career, I mean, I was always kind of told here are the big major players in Foley and this is why. And it's because, you know, men can do big, heavy men's footsteps or big, huge, bombastic sounds. And I would constantly say, okay, and then I would do them and do them better. So <laughs> men can do big, heavy foot. Is that an actual argument someone gave you? That's absurd. <laughs> it, there's so much ridiculousness when it comes to people get really, really obsessive about literal sounds. Mm-hmm. Every sound has to be literal. So they see big, huge Ultron or whatever on, on mm-hmm. screen. And then they're going to assume, oh, well, we need to have someone big and heavy to do that. Or they see a huge body fall on the screen and they say, wow, you're going to need to really fall, have a human body fall down to make that sound. And it's such a lie. Everything I do is pretend. Mm -hmm. Everything I do is make believe. Mm. 
Um, one of the problems I've always had with Foley artists is that they're all so secretive and they don't want to share their techniques or Ooh. what they're using. And I am the opposite. I show yeah. everyone all the time. Here, check this out. I, I did this. Isn't that funny? This is like this weird little thing. And then I just do like this and then ta-da, here's that sound. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just have a lot of confidence in my ability to come up with new and creative stuff that I don't care if somebody else wants to use it because I'm yeah. going to come up with something else anyways, or, you know, yeah, it's just also helpful. Why, why keep it to yourself? I mean, yes. Is there potential of me losing work? I suppose, but I'm really fun to work with. So yeah, <laughs> there's that. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- okay. So did you find that when you were starting your career? Like, how did you um, find your way in if that was the case um, into the world of Foley? So the beginnings of my of my career were what I like to call politely stalking or professionally mm-hmm. stalking. Um, luckily, I'm from Northern California, where historically the Foley artists here were all women. Mm-hmm. And it was a huge, huge inspiration for me to seek out and kind of find out what they were up to. We also generally have a particular sound in Northern California between George Lucas and Francis Coppola, like that whole scene kind of developed, you know, Walter Murch. It was really kind of a unique situation versus like in LA, everything was, you know, had a history of kind of Disney and Warner Brothers and and things like that. So the women here were really inspiring because they also were very tiny. Again, we're talking about like, you need physical strength to be able to do this job. Mm-hmm. And they were able and they knew their strengths and they knew their weaknesses. I ended up finding a studio that um, one of the women that I looked up to was periodically doing work at and I started interning there. And that's when I politely stalked her and asked her if I could continue to come and shadow her. And really, that truly, I think, is the way to learn fully is by observing quite a bit Mm -hmm. to like learn like, Oh, I get this now. Once you start getting the rhythm and why we do the things that we do, then it just becomes a matter of practice. And so when I met her and, um, she invited me to come shadow her on a film with, um, the supervising sound editor who eventually became one of my client mixers, I watched and I got to help a little bit, mostly moving the microphone, mostly helping mm-hmm. clean up, but really getting to see the ins and outs of like, oh, this is why she doesn't, you know, have a lot of shoes with shoelaces is because we don't have the time to put them on and take them off. And so I have a kind of combination of shoes that need tying and some that don't. And I have mm-hmm. shoes that are too big. So that way they can kind of incorporate a little bit of weight, I can get a little bit of the resonance in there to get the weight in there. And some of them are, you know, not expected when you listen mm-hmm. to them and you say, wow, those are women's heels when they're really just men's loafers. So they're not, everything is, is all pretend. It's all a matter of like, I, I try to ignore the rationalization that my brain wants to do. Mm-hmm. And I go with what is what my ear wants to hear. Cool. So I guess, um, if you'd mind explaining more a bit about how um, physically involved everything is, like why do you have to be so strong? And yeah, so for a full day, yeah, a full artist might never sit down. They might be on their feet 
the entire day. And if that's mm-hmm. the case, I'm also moving a microphone from surface to surface to surface. I might also be jumping or running or falling or sliding, coming up with all kinds of different techniques and sounds for whatever I'm copying on screen. And then on top of that, sometimes it can get just a little bit tricky depending on the surface. Oh, my surface sounds really good, but only when I step on it like this. So then I really have to craft my motions a little Mm -hmm. bit more. And so sometimes it requires me leaning on something or holding onto something so I don't fall. Sometimes it means I have to drag a car door to the middle of the floor, to my wood floor to get even more resonance. Um, Sometimes I have to carry a big, huge piece of steel over to the other side of the room. And there's a lot of those things swinging, like, you know, throwing sandbags all over everything just to make sure it's not too resonant or (laughs) too rattly. There's lots of different parameters that I'm always thinking about, that I'm always challenging, you know, and changing. And sometimes even the most minute changes will make a difference. Yeah. So how did you get into um, Skywalker? My mentor, Marnie Moore, who was one of the Foley artists at, at Skywalker, they started needing more Foley teams and they approached her and she said, no, thank you. She was kind of at the end of her career and she didn't want to work night shifts and I don't blame her. And yeah, it was kind of a combination of luck and kind of right place, right time and doing enough of this to kind of at least people knew that I was doing fully. What was your first uh, Skywalker project and how did that go? Oh my God. (laughs) So I tried out on a movie with Jessica Alba called The Eye and it was a horror movie. Yeah. (laughs) And... It was fine. I think I was really nervous the first day, so I did really poorly. And so they uh, asked me to come back and kind of come again. And I did. And I kind of wrote it off. I said, oh, I'm one way over my head. There's no way they're going to hire me. And because I kind of let go, I did fine. Mm. So the first movie I did there was Horton Hears a Who. Mm. which was animation and it's tricky it's busy really Mm -hmm. busy and for someone that was new was I in over my head absolutely I think I did some pretty good work on it but I was still very uncertain of myself so then of course I finished that one and was thrown onto Iron Man which was also (laughs) somewhat beyond my capability at the time but I still managed and then There was a lull. There was kind of some politics and stuff going on. So I didn't work there for a year, which really actually was beneficial for me to go and do independent work. Mm -hmm. Um, I did some work for the Coppolas and I did work on, you know, just some like Sundance movies, really beautiful independent stuff that I could just get faster and better Mm -hmm. and more comfortable with how I was making Mm -hmm. sounds and things like that. Um, It is a big difference to do sounds for independent kind of very natural movies and doing things like Iron Man. Those are, they're just completely different mindsets. If they're different, um, would a naturalistic movie be more literal or do you still refuse to do like the literal sound? Sure, there's plenty in the naturalistic. I mean, it lends itself. I mean, you're not going to really get a beer bottle sound from, you know, a Coke can. (laughs) There are things that kind of typically tend to be literal. However, I really remember in Somewhere, which was uh, Sofia Coppola's movie, that had almost no dialogue and almost no music. And so it was a lot of Foley and really highly, highly detailed. And there was a whole scene, a 
of them playing ping pong. And I'm working in a tiny garage studio. So Mm -hmm. getting a ping pong table is not going to happen. But we really needed to try and find that graphite or like, you know, this, this very specific um, surface. And it was a long scene. So my mixer actually was the one to come up with a chalkboard. And we did this entire scene just basically on a chalkboard in this little tiny studio. And it worked great. And that was really one of those times that proved to me that like, if you're thinking about things in the right manner, if you're thinking about things, if you kind of break things down into what they're made of and what you want to hear and what's important and that kind of thing, it actually makes your job so much easier than trying to go, what am I going to use? It needs to be like a ping pong table. No, Mm -hmm. it doesn't. It needs to sound, you know, hard, but not exactly like wood and not, you know. I heard one Foley artist um, was doing like, she'll do uh, footsteps one pass and then do taps and kisses. I can't remember, (laughs) but do you have like a strategy for approaching the walkthrough? Yeah, I have to for a lot of films, especially with how much time I'm given. Yeah. It also is just more efficient for everybody, especially delivering stuff to my editors, because Mm -hmm. when you're delivering to an editor, they typically will want all footsteps first. It's a lot better to organize everything that way and make it better for delivery to the mix stage. Mm -hmm. So I'll do all the footsteps first, and then I'll move on to props. And it depends (laughs) depends how I'm feeling that day. If (laughs) I'm feeling kind of inspired, I might try some of the trickier stuff first. But more often than not, I'll kind of do all of the very easy, simple stuff and burn through all of that really fast. And then I'll have a lot of time to go into the the stuff that might take me a little more time to conceptualize or find the prop or go and buy it or, you know, whatever. So, you know, anything that's like a creature movement, I'll kind of wait till the end unless they really want to get samples of it. And that way they can say, yes, this is working or this isn't working or I need this or more texture, more this. You know, they give me notes, that kind of thing. But those kind of movies, those independent ones that are are just a very simple, we call them walkie talkies because that's what they're doing. So those types of films are pretty straightforward. I will probably work scene by scene in some instances. I'll still do all the feet first, but then I'll kind of concentrate in that scene and do like, okay, here's the cigarette and here's this part of that. Here's this part of that. Mm -hmm. Now I'll do all the beer stuff. Okay, that's all done. Now I'll do all the sitting stuff and all the, you know, hands in the pockets and and things like that. I don't always like to do things the same way just because I like to change things up. Mm -hmm. But it really also depends on if I'm working alone, if I'm working with a partner, Again, how much time I have. There's all kinds of things that are in the parameters. <laughs> how do you get your choreography uh, down to like, okay, you're doing this beer scene. Like, are you preparing the night before? Like, how do you establish? I'll watch the film or I'll watch the reel that we're working on. So it's like a 20 minute segment, let's say, of the film. So I'll watch that before we even do any work on it. Sometimes, most of the time, at least at Skywalker, they have an editor spot it, which means that they've laid out everything that they need from me. So then I can mm-hmm. even print out a sheet of all the things that they need and I can say, Ooh, wow, there's a lot of beer bottle stuff. If it's not done like that, I typically like to work chronologically or like at least scene by scene. So that way I can get a little more invested in the story. It's really helpful to watch things ahead of time. There was a period of time I worked with someone who really didn't value that. And it really doesn't lend itself to a creative 
environment. You know, we're doing art was what we're doing. So when we're doing art, <laughs> we need to make sure that we understand what is the task at hand. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm also trying to help someone else's artistic vision. So usually you want to kind of be very malleable. I try not to have like, oh, I only do Iron Man, big sound, you know, something like that. Or I only do Star Wars or I only do animation because, you know, you start to do only that and then it becomes boring or, you know, you're kind of imparting more of your vision on it Mm -hmm. than somebody else's vision. I mean, I do have my style, you know, I think that's something that is, um, I don't want to say unique, but and every every artist that gets hired is is there's something about the way that they operate or the way that you know the style and the sound that that their clients are usually after. So it's really kind of cool to establish these relationships and mm-hmm. some of these relationships I've had now for like ten plus years, and they know what to expect from me that how to interact with me, they know what I need from them and they know how I operate and then they know what they're going to get from me. Audio requirements for myself, like fully tends to live in the high mid frequencies. That's just where it naturally lives. So I try to go beyond those. So I try to give things in the higher frequencies and a lot in the lower frequencies, just because a lot of people ignore that and they kind of just go again, very literal. And I want like a really full palette to give the sound designers more to work with, especially sitting in with their design, with their effects, with the dialogue, with the music. I want to make sure that the stuff that I have isn't just all very boring and the same. And that's what I hear when I hear fully that's all sitting kind of in that same range. And there's no weight. Some people interpret weight to mean loud you know, oh, if I just record these really loud, it sounds big. No, not really. It's just very loud. So I really want to give, and and also like, it's a lot easier to remove frequencies later. So if there's like, oh, it's a little too low, they can always take that out, but it'll sit nicely. Once they like put Foley in, into their track, it's going down so many, you know, DB that like, you, you know, I, I'm really proud when you don't even notice it. That's like where I, I live. It's like, oh, I'm really stoked when you can't even tell. It's like the most backwards statement, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did, um, we did this movie called Phantom Thread which um, uh, for Paul Thomas Anderson. And he's really notorious for really not enjoying post-production sound work. He thinks it sounds kind of artificial or, or just kind of not, not to his taste. So whenever we do Foley, we know it's going to be for the foreign releases and stuff like that. And really (laughs) not, he doesn't want to hear it. So that movie in particular, we recorded outside the studio quite a bit to get natural ambiences. And it was all recorded, you know, I mean, all of those scenes were in these big giant kind of mansions and, and old taverns and things like that. So to really get those ambiences, I mean, we were recording in the stairwell from the garage at the ranch, you know, to get some really, really intense, intense reverb. We were doing it in the scoring stage or in the hallway, just on the wood floors. Mm -hmm. And the most amazing compliment we got was that the mixer was kind of mixing our Foley and kind of listening to it against production and everything. And he was about to do some, something with it. And he was like, I had no idea that my Foley was even on. Mm -hmm. It matched (laughs) so well. So that's one of those proud moments. (laughs) 
Wow. Well, his movies always have such good sound. I didn't realize he had such a particular, um, I mean, I guess that's why it's good because he's particular. <laughs> I enjoy working in non-conventional ways and stuff. So I was, I'm all for it. When it works, it works. <laughs> wow. So I guess um, I'm curious about like, uh, what is the most uh, unusual um, thing you've recorded that then becomes a different thing, you know, like, oh, so a guillotine chopping head off sound is actually a cabbage and, and all that. Like, what have you got? <laughs> There's been some very odd things that, to me, they make sense because of mm -hmm. what they're made from. Like yeah. a lightsaber, just to grab it, is some like combination of metal objects that I have. One of them is a garlic press. One of them is a wine opener <laughs> and one of them is like a cast spreader or something. Someone told me about it and I change it all the time. It's not always the same and it changes from different things, but those collection yeah. of th things together are to me, when I, when I put them all together and it's like a hand grab of a lightsaber, it matches. It's something that's not just a singular object. We look at a lightsaber and we see different things. It's not just like a solid object. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's what I want to hear. I want to hear that it has multiple pieces, not rattling together, not banging around, but just that mm -hmm. it, it has a tiny bit of different pieces all put together. And so that's like one example. Another is we just did the deviants in Eternals and it took a, a little bit of doing when we asked them, you know, so the deviants, what do you want their bodies to sound like? Well, it's all organic and it's this and so. Okay, so your mind immediately goes to produce, you know, as long as it's not too squeaky and funny because that's kind of what can happen. And we yeah. do that quite a bit. But there is something that caught me totally off guard, which was I was just experimenting with, and Ghana had like a real big mess of cabbage and of bok choy and all kinds mm -hmm. of other things. And I had this idea in my head of what if it wasn't something kind of moist, but something to layer on top of it. And, mm -hmm. and that was also kind of, cause it was a transformational point. They were kind of transforming. So I took peanuts in their shell and I had a huge pile of it and I'm kind of swirling them in my hands, just both to get the sound of like the peanuts rolling inside the shell, which was a very like almost rain stick something. Mm. And then on top of that, also crunching them a, a little bit. Yeah. So like it had this really, especially like the slower to fast pace that I could get it going. It really did kind of feel like there was this transforming of this ropey tendon type of something that was stretching and building upon all of the other stuff. And then just because I had them close by and I was like, well, the peanuts worked. I <laughs> grabbed a rice cake and gently, <laughs> gently started stroking it, like swirling it with my fingers, <laughs> you know, just like wiping it. I don't know how to describe it because <laughs> caressing, <laughs> yeah, caressing, caressing the rice cake. And it had this really cool tentacle kind of slithering, um, you could hear different motions of it because of all of the um, crevices mm -hmm. in it. It really kind of made it very interesting instead of just a smooth piece of something that, you know, when you're swiping your hand across, it can be nice and swirly. But this created the more sensation of movement 
and like going over and under and all of mm-hmm. these kind of tentacles swirling, which really read in that moment. I was like, all right, this worked pretty well. I'm stoked on this. So I surprise myself constantly on stuff that works for things <laughs> that aren't expected. <laughs> yeah. So are you just like, I guess Skywalker has a, a Foley room uh, with props galore and you just take a scan like you're a happy kid at the library and you start caressing it? <laughs> a little bit. I am that I am that person that touches everything. Like I'm always kind of touching, even in a store, I'll look at something I'm like, that looks cool. And then I touch it and do stuff with it to make sure like, I'm like oh, is it worth it? Like oh, that <laughs> looks like it could be kind of fun. And that's how ideas come to me. So I'll like kind of walk around and look at something and kind of touch and the thinking are like, oh, I need to find something that might do this. What does this do? What will this give me? I had a, a dragon that was made of crystal scales or something that I needed to do a wing open for it. And, you know, wings opening are very, the classic stuff to do for things like that, or like umbrella opens. That's and, what I thought of, yeah. You know, can, canvas and stuff like that. But man, this thing has crystal scales. So I'm thinking, so I found this tatami mat and like, I started thinking about it and I started, and it, that's the other thing is if you just do one manipulation, if you kind of just go, okay, here, and it's open and you say that didn't work and you throw it away, you've just lost the potential of something great. Because it's not all about getting it in one shot. I'm a big fan of layers. So like that was one layer of the wings because it gave this textured open that I was like, yes, okay, now this wing has crystal scales and I'm totally buying the scaly portion of this. It doesn't read as crystal and it doesn't read like this, but it Mm -hmm. gives a cool element. And so I'll I'll record that and then I'll move on to something else and I'll go, let's see if this will help that out a little bit. Play that and kind of do that. So then I listen to the two tracks together. Does it make sense for what I need? Is it not working? If it's not working, I tell them, get rid of that first track. It just didn't work. But even that, even a failure will inform of what Mm -hmm. didn't work and what isn't working and will give me a sound in my head for something else in the future. There's plenty of things that didn't work for something that I was like, what? Mm -hmm. That was amazing. Keep it in my, so far I can actually remember things (laughs) and kind of have this in my back pocket to pull out at another time and go like, oh, I remember this worked really well for that. Or it didn't work for that. Maybe it'll work for this. And it also will will inspire other ones. Ooh, mm-hmm. that thing worked for that. I'm not looking for something that textured. Ooh, what about the yoga mat? The yoga mat mm-hmm. has some texture on it. Let's see if I could do something similar. Oh, okay, that works, but not for this, but for that. So it's a constant game I play with myself of trial and error. <laughs> oh, it's so playful, so fun. I love, like, yeah, no wonder you're excited about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And again, it's so much of the performance in Luca. You have two characters that are both bare feet, but the director and the sound designer were really, really adamant about them each having their own unique performance because one of them is very curious and timid and shy, and the other one is really kind of confident and kind of braggadocious and wants to walk around and struts around like that. And so Mm -hmm. it was really that bare feet. I sometimes use my hands, but this bare feet had to be done in such a way it was all performance. 
it was all a matter of making sure that the footsteps sounded appropriate for each character. So you're an actress. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of Foley artists are like failed or want to be actors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how do you mic stuff? It really depends on those, the independent films that we are trying to match production, mostly to do an M&E. Mm-hmm. We'll kind of mic a little bit further back to get a little more air and kind of have it Would match go, the like, production. Stereo or... No, 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 we are, we are mono all the way. And I've done two mics to get perspective before. Yeah. Um, one close, one far, but it's relatively unnecessary and just a little bit more work. Um, yeah. Stuff that you can kind of achieve even with a simple reverb or, you know, performance even. Sometimes we'll use a room mic to get even more air, kind of more distance on it, but typically not. Sometimes we use a contact mic, but not always. I, it's very rare um, that yeah. we'll do that. Even underwater, we don't really typically do underwater stuff like an underwater mic anymore. Mm-hmm. It really just depends on the project. But for the most part, I'm miking like from two to three feet away, mm-hmm. pretty directional, really sensitive microphone. So it's like certain things I typically will have to like be a little off axis, you know, for like glass breaks or for keys jingling and stuff like that. But it's pretty simple. <laughs> like recording fully is pretty simple. It's obviously like things will be directional. So you record everything in mono and then whoever decides where that needs to be, they just put it there kind of thing. Yeah. We're not panning a lot depending on the dialogue, which kind of, you know, sometimes they want to pan footsteps, you know, of course, like someone's rocking across screen. Great. But if someone's talking, they need those footsteps to follow that. And it's usually going to be in the center channel. Yeah. So it's like, we've done some stuff for like, surrounds and you know mostly crowd footsteps and stuff like that but not a ton we're personally when we are recording we're not really tasked with making it and putting it somewhere yeah okay so wait how does fully editing fall in line because i guess i'm just considering your layers and i i'm putting together now that the reason you occupy so many frequencies is because you take the care to layer in such a way and add yeah you know character and detail to your work um so how does that process work like I record in layers. So I do each sound as a layer, let's say. Let's say I have um, some stormtrooper who's running by. So we'll have the footsteps as one track. Okay, great. Then we have the gear as one track. Okay, fine. And then we have their guns as another pass. Because you might be able to perform them all together and it can save time to do that. However, the mixer might not want to hear all of it at one point because it might be too busy or it might interfere with the dialogue or the music or whatever. So they might want to have some of that, but not all of it all the time. So that's where I like to give my mixers the most control. That said, if you start to create so many layers that the mixer is like having to, you know, kind of sift through a bunch of them just to find the one thing that might be poking out at them, it's also a dangerous game to play. So I typically try not to go more than like three layers, maybe four max. Mm -hmm. I mean, in Phantom Thread, we had like four layers for the sewing because it was just so detailed and so intricate and it was up close and, you know, those kinds of things. But I'm not going to worry about that on like someone in the far back who's going to be sewing. So it's really, it's about taking the time and again, following the story and, and like conveying 
what the sound designer might even want to play during those moments and kind of anticipating. And also watching a lot of film and you can see what stuff lives, what stuff mm -hmm. doesn't, what stuff will make the difference. And almost always what I hear from my mixers is that it's all texture that they need. It's all weight that they need. You know, they have big, huge sound effects and they're like, we won't hear any of the Foley unless we can get it to kind of live with it. That's why I always say that I want my sounds to play nice in the sandbox, you know, with its mm -hmm. friends. And so, but its friends are, you know, effects, ambiences, the sound design. So I'll usually ask for an effects bounce just so I know what's playing, what I'm, what I'm up against. If it's some like mm -hmm. big something, I'm like, okay, I don't need to go for broke on this. It just needs a little sprinkling of Foley in there and ta-da. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of like understanding the entire process, how it goes and where your stuff needs to be. Mm -hmm. This is so interesting. I I'm loving, yeah, this is so cool. Do you end up um, later eating the produce? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, one of the funniest things is a, uh, when I first started, you know, everybody wants to do this whole, they hear about fight club and how they had like a big giant piece of beef and they're like smacking it. And to me, a, that sounds disgusting. <laughs> B, I know for a fact that it can only do so much, like again, frequency wise and like, you know, all of those things that I want to hear, I know that it's not going to give me what I want. So I learned early on from Denny Thorpe, who was like longtime Skywalker Foley artist. She was vegan. So mm. she wouldn't even dream about bringing a piece of meat onto the stage. And also it's just, again, disgusting. A little unsafe as well, you know. <laughs> Especially once you start like flying everywhere, you know. So she taught me like how much produce you can use to really make all of these big fleshy this and that. I mean, one of my favorite videos ever of Foley is of her showing how to do the little baby dinosaur hatching from the egg in Jurassic Park. I mean, it's just so adorable that she's taking mm -hmm. the little waffle cone and it's breaking. And then she takes a pineapple with some soap and it's like, you know, kind of spreading it all over it. And that's the goopy little baby dinosaur, the skin and everything. And it was just like, <laughs> this is so genius. You don't need the most disgusting stuff. Um, yeah. and also, especially with how much or how fast sometimes these eating cues, let's say, like if somebody's, especially in animation, they tend to move really fast. So if someone's like gobbling a bunch of stuff, mm -hmm. I can't eat that fast. I can't swallow, I'll choke. So mm -hmm. I kind of just go for broken. I stand over a garbage can. So that way it just all will fall. I'll try not to eat anything that I'm touching on the Foley stage. Sounds like a safe decision. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard enough to remember to like wash my hands at, at the pace that I do because of all the stuff I'm touching in there and all my yeah. gloves are really gross. So even just like wiping my eye or something, I have to remember, <gasps> go wash your hands. <laughs> oh my God. Especially now. And also I, I work really fast because I get so excited and because one thing leads to another in my excitement. I just not stop. So I get, oh, let's go do this and let's do this. So I just am running from one thing to the next and one thing to the next. Oh, I got this and oh, I got this. And how about mm -hmm. this? And uh, all of that kind of stuff. So it can get really messy. And then that's why I typically wait for like the messiness at the end. I'll make a big mess just in general gathering stuff and I don't put it away and I, I end up tripping over everything and 
it's pretty comical. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as it starts to get into the territory of like, I need to make a bowl full of pancake batter. I, I want to have as much time to like clean up and make things not disgusting when I leave. Yeah. I've got to say, this sounds like a perfect job for someone who doesn't want to grow up. Absolutely. I think that's a really great description because I am definitely never somebody who can just sit at a desk and like, you know, have meetings all day and, and things like that. And I get really excited just thinking, you know, and doing all these different things. It takes a very particular person and we're all crazy. That's what I've heard. Why is that seriously <laughs> true? It really, it kind of is. I, I mean, there's a big presence on Facebook, I guess, like a, a Facebook Foley artist group. I typically don't engage with them at all because I feel like I'm just crazy enough for my, you know, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. You know, and I think there's a lot of um, competition. Mm-hmm. And, you know, who's better, who's this, and who's the number one. I mean, I don't believe that just because somebody has a good reputation that means they're a good Foley artist. I think it just depends on if it's good stuff. Mm-hmm. And I have no problem reaching out to people who I feel did a really good job on something and telling them, like, wow, that was incredible. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. You know, I don't, I don't have any ego, like, as far as you know, oh, I'm the best. I'm the only, I have my way of doing things. I like it. I turned down working with certain people because I didn't like their personalities or their sounds. And so I couldn't Mm -hmm. really in good faith, like say like, yes, this is where I want to take my career. I want to be someone's assistant. Mm -hmm. I want to, you know, that kind of thing. Nah, I think you're doing fine. <laughs> so far. I, you know, my husband gave me this piece of advice when I first started working. I thought it was really good. And I tell it to all, whenever I go talk to students, it's the same thing. He said, you know, because there is a lot of drama. It's a lot of, mm-hmm. in a, any big environment, any people who are kind of constantly jockeying for work and bigger and better and everything. He's like, just ignore the drama. Do good work and keep your nose clean. Mm-hmm. That's it. He's like, as soon as you get involved in that other stuff, it'll take away from that. So as long as you keep doing the good work, people will hire you. And that's exactly what's happened. I mean, I, for a long time, I had people who weren't sure about me, you know, at Skywalker. They're like, who is she? She's only been doing this for a few years. Uh," You know, again, all it does is fuel me to do more of me, to do more of what I do, to Mm -hmm. not really say, oh, I need to please this person. Yeah, they're not going to be pleased. So I really try and concentrate on what I I know that I can do. And I think yeah. it took like, I, I know the exact movie I worked on that it was like, oh, I could do this. Oh, go and on. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> I think it was probably five years ago. I think it was before my son was born. I think so. Um, so I was working on this movie called The Mummy with Tom Cruise. Mm -hmm. And it was for one of my favorite, favorite, favorite clients. I love him to pieces. And it was one of those things that that's a lot of texture and a lot of layers that they want for that. Because The Mummy, the way he described it to me, was like dry, stretchy, painful. (sighs) Okay. (laughs) So um, it was interesting because I was really scared. I didn't know what I was going to do. I had only a few things in my mind that I, you know, and again, a lot of sound designers will try to 
give you clues, you know, these descriptive words, you know, well, I'm thinking like a cast, you know, when they're breaking a cast off of your mm-hmm. arm and you okay. Or like a bag of broken bones again. Okay. <laughs> that was one of those things that, and I found, I, I went to the bathroom in the fitness center at the ranch and there was a bowl of potpourri and I looked at it and I was like, huh. And they had these like round things that kind of remind me of walnuts. I don't know. So I was mm-hmm. like, so of course here I am in the bathroom, digging my hand in the potpourri and starting to crush it and squeeze it. Suddenly I was getting all of those words, dry, stretchy, kind of like crunchy ish, painful. It sounded it was like, oof. So that night I went out and got some potpourri and I put it in a canvas bag and we started mm-hmm. playing with it the next day. And like the mummy transformation kind of going from like nothing to her embodiment, it was painful. You can hear like, wow, this is really stretching mm-hmm. and like kind of you can get some broken bone out of it. You can get all kinds of cool movements out of it. And it was the first time that I kind of thought to myself, wow. I can do this. Mm. I can. Not just I can make sounds and they can work, but I can create something cool and I can give my sound designers what they want. We can speak like if I get enough descriptive words and if I ask the right questions, you know, I can get the feedback that I need to kind of come up with these things. And that's kind of where I think my strength lies is with my clients. I can talk about it, say, you know, do you want it? Are we talking more plastic? Are we talking metal? How big are we talking about? Do you want just movements on the hits, on the footsteps, you know, and do you want it like in between? Do you want it? Are they high tech? So then I have to dial it back even more. I know now all the questions to ask. I know the things to get the inspiration flowing for myself that even if I don't get it right on the first try, I will have given them something to think about and then give me back feedback that will give me and inform me of what I need to do to get closer, Mm -hmm. which was just like a huge step for me in my confidence, in my creativity, like breaking free from, oh, I don't know how to do this. And uh, I don't know what I'm going to do to, wow. Like I, and it's ever since then, again, the dragon with the crystal scales that I had to do for a video game, I did Foley fire recently. I never believe Foley fire ever. Like when fire's done in Foley, it doesn't sound like fire ever, ever. And so this was an amazing accomplishment that I was shocked that with the layers that we Mm. had done, I listened back to it and I said, Whoa, I can't believe we did that. And it still cool. astounds me. Like, it, it's uh, surprising to me. <laughs> How did you do it? It was a few tracks. It was just like, one of them was like a straw hat. And, um, God, what else? A straw hat with some other kind of like a broom. Mm-hmm. So it was really crunchy and crackly. Mm-hmm. Another one was kind of this um, sound of me. I have like a, a windsock on my mic. And I actually just was like rubbing my finger around it. That's kind of what it does. Sorry for that terrible impersonation. (laughs) And, um, and then the third one was like a crackling paper, plastic bottle, something for Mm -hmm. the pops and cracks of like all of that stuff. So all of those things together, you know, it had to be cut, but it still was like, wow, it encompassed everything that I wanted to hear because I wasn't hearing 
sometimes you can just hear somebody do some tape crinkling or something. And it just doesn't read as fire to me. Why not just record by fire? It doesn't actually sound like it. It doesn't sound like much. We've tried. Uh, it, It depends. Also, in the Foley stage, we can't build a fire big enough and roaring enough for it to be recording, to be able to be recorded. And we we tried to do a torch, a lit torch one time. Didn't sound like anything. Like it just, there wasn't much. It's the way that it records what it does. It's kind of like how I learned with water. You need to introduce air to water Mm -hmm. for it to make any kind of sound. Mm-hmm. Whether it's splashing it, that's introducing air, it's moving it across the air. Anything underwater you need to introduce, whether it's like, you know, a cup, a bowl, or something, like anything like that is going to require some sort of air to be, otherwise there's just no sound. You can wave your hand all you want underwater. Mm-hmm. It does nothing. Absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. And even with an underwater mic, you may just get, you know, some like kind of subby stuff that's not that usable. So it's really all trial and error. That's mm-hmm. the thing is in the beginning of my career, I thought, okay, water is, uh, we need an underwater mic. This is how you do it. This is what we do. And just like we use our Neumann microphones, you know, all of these things. It's like, no, you don't have to, there's no have to, there's no need, you know, there's just mm-hmm. whatever works. If it sounds good, it is good. Mm-hmm. And that's one of my biggest mottos. If it sounds yeah. good, it is good. Not every footstep is the same and not every this and, you know, ooh, I, I want this sweetener. So, like, I think about that as I'm performing. Oh, there's this big moment mm-hmm. and she's stepping on the screen and it's just these two footsteps. I don't care about the walk up. We see her walking up. I don't care. But those two foot plants, I'm going to give you the biggest sweetener for them because it's such a moment. And people understand what I'm doing, even if it's not what they want. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, cool. I'm go- That's rad that she gave it to me. Because I have that option in case the director, you're like, hey, this is a big moment. You know, mm-hmm. she gets the story. She gets the, like what what's happening. Does it help the story? The big question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Do you have any final um, advice? I mean, you've given lots of great advice, but anything else that comes to mind that maybe? I would say the saddest part is to have thick skin, really thick skin. Take criticism. You have to take criticism learn the difference obviously between constructive criticism and just plain somebody wanting to complain Mm -hmm. seek out the support of other women or anybody identifying as a woman because I can't tell you how difficult it is to find uh, in this industry even though there's more and more women to be leaning upon for support it's still not enough and historically we are proven to do harder work and more work and get yeah. less less recognition but other women will recognize you and they will lift you up and support you in a professional manner that we deserve so it's really key to seek out and find those women i do what i can i have no hiring power whatsoever so i incapable but when i do have freelance gigs i invite whomever wants to come shadow me, you know, and has expressed interest to come do that. Um, I would say, don't give up, be really, really persistent, be really driven if this is what you want. Um, and try different avenues just because you never know what you're going to gravitate towards. Um, I think if I had had 
podcasting or other things available to me at the time, I probably mm-hmm. would have taken some some more of those types of, of jobs. Um, just to have that in that experience in my pocket and also make all the connections, even if they're not in what you want to do, because those people are, again, going to be your support system, are going mm-hmm. to come back later in your life and prove something to of, of value to you. And it's just really good to have that. I'm, I'm connected with people from school that do production sound, that do live sound, that do, you know, all kinds of stuff that are nothing to do with my particular job, but we all understand the struggles and we can all relate. And it's always mm-hmm. beneficial to keep in contact with people that, that are in your field. Bravo. Wow. So much good advice. So many good stories. And also don't let anybody tell you, you can't be a mom mm. and work in audio mm-hmm. because that is, it's hard. It is brutally difficult and we are even more of a unicorn than just being a woman in this field but it is so important for me to tell others that in any part of film it's really challenging to be a mom and you get pulled in every other direction but that Mm -hmm. and there are plenty of people to tell you that won't that you shouldn't do it but you absolutely can do both yeah that's really important thank you thank you so much for all of this Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. Oh, it was so fun. Thank you for listening to the Sound Girls podcast. Visit soundgirls.org for more information. The first annual Sound Girls virtual conference is coming up December 4th and 5th. Two days of sessions in post-production, live sound, recording arts, film and TV sound, broadcast, and more. Plenty of networking and mentoring opportunities. For more information on the Soundgirls virtual conference, check out the events tab at soundgirls.org. And if you need financial assistance to attend the event, please let us know by emailing soundgirls at soundgirls.org. Grab your tickets today. We'll see you there. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance. Be sure to check out what our friends in the podcasting community have in store for you at audiopodcast.org.